I came that you may have life and have it abundantly. About a year and a half ago, actually a little longer ago than that, it wasn't too long after I came here as pastor nearly two years ago, I went to visit the Fondrens, Bill and Gwen, at their home here in town. It was a wonderful visit. They were so very gracious to me, and they welcomed me into their home. They gave me something to drink, and we sat and chatted for well over an hour, unhurried, unconcerned. I was struck by Gwen's physical limitations, her, her hands, how crippled up they were, her, her legs uh, suffering from venous insufficiency, and, and Bill was already having problems at this time, too. As most of you know, they've both since gone on to glory to be with the Lord. But what most blessed me while I was visiting them, and it was truly a gift from God, was the abundance of love that just radiated from both of them, that shined forth like a bright light from both of them. Their love for God, their love for others, their love for me, even though I'd only been their pastor for a short time, their love for me was very evident in every word and everything that they did and said. And indeed, their deep, abiding love for each other. They were approaching, just a year or so away, they were approaching their 70th wedding anniversary, and they appeared to me to be as much in love then as they were when it all started. In fact, as they looked at each other and as they talked about their life as they were young and how they met and how they got married and all that went on in their life, I could see the love shining forth from them both for each other. When Bill talked about Gwen, his affection for her was obvious. When, when, when Gwen talked about Bill, it was amazing how much they loved each other. They beamed with love for each other. They overflowed with love for each other and for other people. They were amazing workers in this congregation. They used to sit, when I was here, they, they sit, when they would come, they would sit in the very back over there. And I remember talking with them and realizing that these two people wrote hundreds of cards and notes to folk shut-ins and people who were sick and youth and people who were new in their lives new in their lives or people whom they never even met they would write these coat notes and these cards to others sharing God's love with them all God's love was abounding and overflowing raging abundantly in them both and it was an honor and a pleasure to serve as their pastor. They illustrated for me perfectly what abundant life in Christ actually is. Jesus said, I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy, I came, that they may have life and have it abundantly. 
Jesus is our gate, our entrance, our way into abundant life. The adverb which we translate abundantly, in Greek, it's the word perisos. According to Bauer's lexicon of the Greek New Testament, perisos means that which is not ordinarily encountered. Extraordinary, remarkable, abundant, profuse, going beyond what is necessary, possibly even superfluous or unnecessarily extravagant. That sounds like Bill and Gwen, doesn't it? Extraordinary, remarkable, abundant, going beyond what is necessary, that attitude, that spirit, that way of living. That describes them to a T, and it's how we should all approach our spiritual lives and our daily living around others. It's not subsistence. It's not just enough. It's not barely adequate. It's not it'll do, or as my mom would say, slap it together and half-ass it. Nope, it's none of that. But sadly, that's so often how we treat the spiritual life. We'll do that which we must do, but only that. We'll do what is required of us, but not much more. If it's not a must-do, if it's not a have-to-do, we'll take the opportunity to not do it. That's the challenge that... I find myself facing repeatedly. What is it that I have to do as a Christian? Love God and love neighbor as self? Okay, that's fine. Let's do it. But rarely, rarely do I find myself asking, how much more is God calling me to do than just that? How much more is God calling me to do as a disciple, as a follower, as a member of his flock? How much more is that voice of the shepherd calling us to serve and to do in and for the flock, the body of Christ? When I was considering becoming part of an Episcopalian monastic community, I not only studied what it was to be a monk, I actually joined in all the elements of their daily life. I practiced the daily routine of a monk, or, or as one friend of mine called it, the monkery life. We had a set order of times for prayer. There was morning prayer and Eucharist and midday prayer and evening prayer and compline. That's a lot of praying, friends. We'd get up at 6 dark 30. I mean, it was really early for someone who likes to sleep late like me. And we'd meet in the chapel for morning prayer. We'd come back at 10.30 for Eucharist, for communion, every day. We'd then come back at noontime for noonday prayers before lunch at 12.30. We'd then come back in the evening at 6 p.m. for worship, for evening prayer. And then we come back at nine just before bedtime for compline or the prayers before 
bed. And we did that every day. Well, we had Mondays off, only evening prayer and complaint on Mondays. But the rest of the time, wham, 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 a truly abundant prayer and worship life. When I left the community, I continued to pray morning and evening prayer, and those prayer times were amazing for me. When I would visit back with the society, when I go back to Boston to visit the monastery, I fell back into that pattern of prayer very easily. It was comforting for me. It gave me an order and a structure for my living that fed me, that empowered me to live the kind of life, the life of a member of the flock of Jesus, that I knew Jesus was wanting me to live. But over time, as I went back home and went back to my churches and served in the pastorate, over time, I began to slack off even on that simple pattern of morning and evening prayer. I began to slip into maintaining the discipline of ordered prayer. Oh, sometimes I'll do evening prayer only because morning prayer's too early in the morning, or I didn't have time, or I got up too late, and I would come up with good excuses for not doing either, or at least they felt like good excuses to me then. The time of morning and evening prayer became shorter, more sparse, more perfunctory. I found myself rushing through the prayer time rather than dwelling in the prayer time. Life became busy, and for some perverse reason, I had less and less time to engage in the spiritual disciplines. And I knew that those spiritual disciplines would feed my soul if only I would exercise them, partake of them. But I was good at lying to myself about how, oh, God will forgive me if I don't pray today. God will forgive me if I do not sit in silence and pray today. And there was a period of time in my ministry where the only time I prayed was when I was standing right here in a pulpit or when the church was having a meal and they asked for the pastor to offer the prayer or at a committee meeting. In other words, on the job. That's not prayer. Not the kind of prayer that I needed then or that I need now. Then this pandemic hit. And friends all over the country, Methodists and Lutherans and Episcopalians, Presbyterians and Roman Catholics, began doing their morning and evening prayer time, their morning and evening ritual of prayer on Facebook Live. I sat and watched one of my friends in Georgia offer evening prayer an hour before I would be supposedly doing mine. And I felt myself nourished by the time of prayer with him and with the many dozens of others who were also watching. I felt myself being nourished and fed. And I was amazed at how in the midst of this pandemic, my spiritual life 
actually began to improve. Even though I was isolated, even though I was staying at home, even though I was preaching to a mostly empty sanctuary week after week, and my friends, this is tough. I don't know if you know how much I depend on you when I preach. I, I look at your eyes to see if it's getting through, if the message is registering. I look at your eyes to know that the message is understood so that I can move on. But, but now I, I see empty pews, except for just three people here in front. I see empty pews. This is tough. Even in the midst of this, leading Bible study, looking at a camera rather than your eyes and your faces. Oh, even in the midst of this, I discovered that my prayer life, my prayer life was improving, becoming more alive and more abundant and more meaningful than it had been for me in a very long time. Living abundantly in Christ is about living with and how Jesus would have us live. It's about spending time with God. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. An abundant spiritual life is about Jesus being our gate, Jesus being the way we enter into eternity, our source of pasture and spiritual nourishment. When we follow Jesus, and the way of Jesus, we are living life abundantly, extraordinarily, depending upon Him and His love, His grace and peace, His indwelling presence. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. What is stealing, killing, or destroying your spiritual life today. For some, it's this lockdown. It's the social distancing. It's the frustrations about when it will end. It's the fear about what will happen if our loved ones catch it, or if we catch it. It's the concern for loved ones who are at risk What's threatening to steal, kill, and destroy the abundant life that Jesus has for you? Jesus reminds us that he came that we may have life and have it abundantly. True, spiritual, divine, everlasting, never-ending life. Life that isn't about tomorrow or next week, or next month, or next year, or when we all get to heaven, but life that is here and now abundant. And we have been given in this life many means of grace. 
by which we live abundantly. Through scripture, through prayer, through worship, through service, through giving, through fellowship, through the sacraments of baptism and Holy Communion, through remembering our baptisms, we are given many means of grace, many means of living abundantly in Christ Jesus our Lord. During this time of lockdown, however, we've had several of these means of grace present to us through preaching, through scripture, through prayer, but we've had many others denied to us or made difficult, like fellowship, service and giving, and the sacrament of Holy Communion and baptism. Mm. It's not easy to receive communion mediated through the internet. Some say it's impossible. I believe it is. I've had several of you tell me that you greatly appreciated Easter Sunday and the online communion celebration that we had together. I've had a couple of you say that it was a little awkward, and I agree with you too. It was. I would rather have you right here with us together to celebrate together the sacrament of Holy Communion rather than dispersed out there. But it is awkward over the internet. So today we're going to participate in what's called a spiritual communion. Rather than receive bread and wine in your homes, as we receive here in the sanctuary, we're going to receive spiritual communion. Unconsecrated bread and cup have been placed on the altar table. And in a moment, we will pray together the prayer for spiritual communion. A version of this prayer has been used by Christians for many years during times when they couldn't receive communion. I have had church members who were unable to eat who have used this prayer at communion time in church to help them connect with the congregation and with Jesus as they could not receive, but they would come forward and receive a blessing and pray this prayer. It's a prayer that's been slightly modified over the years by fellow friends and clergy and by one Methodist pastor, Mitchell Lewis, but it's substantially the same prayer as Christians from many different denominations pray when they can't receive communion. Today, I invite you to enter into a time of spiritual communion with us here. I want you to know we will not be receiving communion in this sanctuary today. We will be praying with you this same prayer. The prayer is printed in the order of service that was emailed out to you, or you can simply listen, focus your attention on the elements on the table in front of you, and pray in your soul as these words are prayed. I look forward to the day when we can meet together, worship together, sing and praise God together, hear the scriptures read and proclaimed together, and receive the sacrament together. But today, I invite us all to take a few moments and to engage in a time of spiritual communion. I invite you to quiet yourself now for a few moments, and then I will lead us 
in the prayer. My Jesus, I love you above all things. How I long to receive you with my brothers and sisters at the table you have prepared. Since I cannot at this moment receive you in bread and wine, according to your promise in the sacrament of Holy Communion, I ask you to feed me with the manna of your Holy Spirit and nourish me with your holy presence. I unite myself wholly to you. Never permit me to be separated from your love. Amen. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. And may God's people say, Amen.